Last week, talked a little bit about compassion. This week, as we go through this text, last week we spoke about the just for the unjust. We spoke about Christ, the holy righteous Son of God, the living Word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us and how He suffered for the children of God. This was given by Peter, or actually by the Holy Spirit moving Peter, that we might understand a little more about the sufferings of this world that are afflicted upon a child of God. And he talks about the preaching of the Gospel. And if you remember, he went back to Noah giving us the knowledge of those who were killed and drowned because of sin in the days of Noah and how even though they perished in judgment in this world, that those that God gave to the Son, the elect of God, were quickened, given life, changed that they might dwell with God the moment they left this world. A lot to think about and much could be said on that. But we closed with that. For this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead, those that died the days of Noah, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. That knowledge is given to us. We hear compassionate prayers for God's children. As was stated, those we know and those we don't know, we should be praying for every child of God. We should be praying for the will of God and for the purpose of God. But we need to understand that because Christ, the just, died for the unjust, that because Christ redeemed us, we are bought in His blood, We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. That means the man, Christ, born of the virgin, is God's. God's servant for the purpose of redemption, for the purpose of glory, and that all glory would be in Him. And then Peter comes to verse 7 is where we will start today. Following this, admonition, this exhortation to suffer for Christ's sake. And we've said this all through. We've said it, and if you read the Bible from the fall of Adam, we must certainly understand that a child of God suffers in this world. We mentioned last week the enmity would put between the seed of Christ and those left in their own state of nature who are called in that text the seed of the serpent. We understand there's an enmity there. We are born of God. We're changed in the grace of God and the blood of Christ. In the mercy of God. In the grace of God. Therefore, we're hated by the world. We're hated by Satan. We're hated by everything that God did not choose and preserve. Everything else is against God. Everything else is against us who were also at enmity with God. 
until be given life in the Spirit through, again, the blood of Christ. This is such an important doctrine for people to know and understand. It's not about the church. It's not about the ministry. It's not even about us. We're the recipients of the election of grace. We're the recipients of the choice of God and His omnipotent power and wisdom because God chose, God was pleased to set His love upon you. Well, how do I know that? There is a teaching which is true and is rebutted today by religious minds called depravity of man. We're depraved by our very nature, by our being at conception when the seed of a sinful man and the seed of a sinful woman come together, it begets sin. That's our existence. So it's by the grace and choice of God that we do know Him. If we love Him, it's because He first loved us. There's a great comfort in that. And Peter's teaching these people about the election of grace, not just to the Jew, but also to the Gentile, chosen, elect from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before God the Father in love. Now, he comes to verse 7 and teaching us and exhorting us to suffer for Christ's sake. It's not fun to suffer. We don't like to suffer. We suffer ailments in the flesh. We have all sorts of problems in our bodies because of sin. Because of sin, bring that on myself. My problems are my doing. My sin. Okay? But we also have problems. And the greater ones to me are not the problems the affliction of the flesh. And not even always the afflictions of the ungodly who hate us, trying to deprive us of worship, deprive us of the... And they cannot, but they would, deprive us of the liberty to which God has set us in being freed from the law of sin and death and brought into the liberty of Christ, to know the knowledge of the true doctrine that we had absolutely nothing to do with any of this. God chose you. God loves you. Christ died for you. Christ quickens you. God raised Him up. God raises you up. And we have a home in immortal glory. That's doctrine that is true. That is doctrine that is biblical. It's rebutted by many in the world today who seek their own purpose and not the purpose of God. That is important to remember because we're going to get into the ministry in just a moment. And we're going to go into chapter 5 later on and we're going to talk about the ministry also. And the doctrine. Well, what does it matter, somebody says? We all worship the same God. We all worship the same Christ. No, we do not. I will not worship a God I have to help because I need help. And the God that I worship helps me. He sustains me. He saved me. He leads me. And daily, He carries me 
through this dark world as He does you because He loves you. There's a God that I worship. Not because I deserve it. Not because I got here, but because He translated me here. Because He put me here. And out of adoration and love for His grace and His mercy, I strive again by His grace and mercy. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I strive to serve Him. That's true doctrine. That's true doctrine. There's not anything else. It's true doctrine. The grace of God... The eternal election of grace. The purpose of God for the glory of the Christ. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. He's given all this about our suffering. He's given all this about the sufferings of Christ, the just, for the unjust, His people. And he says... In speaking of those in Noah, giving us example that no matter what transpires, Christ saved His people from their sins. It is finished. John 19.30 It is done. Eternal life is purchased for every child of God and not one will be left out. So He says, but the end of all things is at hand. That is what we look for. That is our hope. That is our earnest expectation. The manifestation of the sons of God. When the body is raised from the ground, when Christ appears with tens of thousands of His saints, as they come back with Him in the eastern sky. Well, how do you know it's going to be in the eastern sky? I have been asked. Because God's nature, the light comes from the east. And Christ is the light of God. And I full well believe the Son of God will appear in the eastern sky with tens of thousands of His saints. That's not an exact number. That's a figure of every the great multitude, every child of God that Christ died for and are dead in body and the Spirit alive with Christ, they shall come back with Christ. The graves shall be open. The ashes of those that were burned, the dung of the animals that consumed many that fell upon the face of the earth will all be called together and the body will be reunited with the soul. The end of all things. People doubt that. That's not true. The Jews, and I'm not picking on them, I'm making a true statement, do not believe that Christ has yet come. There was an end there. He taketh away the first that He may establish the second. They do not see that the Messiah has already come. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. They don't see it because it is not revealed to them at this time. Okay? The Lord added daily. Where does it come from? Such as should be saved. 
God works His purpose in heaven and in earth. God adds, God sustains His church, His kingdom, His people in this world. He setteth up kings, He taketh down kings, He reigns over heaven and earth and works His way despite Satan and sin and the ways and the nature of man. But He says the end of all things is at hand. They don't see the end of the lost service. They do not believe it has yet come. They do not believe the Messiah has yet entered in the world. But that makes absolutely no difference. Talking about uh, the judgment of man upon those who died in the days of Noah, mankind would have them smitten off the face of the earth and stricken in hell. And God tells us His Son saved those upon the face of the earth in that day before they died. The purpose of God is eternal. It is certain. It will be. It's final. The end of all things is at hand. We know and see the end of the law of service because we worship under grace. By God's grace, we understand that we cannot approach unto God. We're at enmity to God. We can't change ourselves. We can't enter a second time into our mother's womb and be born again. We can do absolutely nothing but dwell in sin by our nature and relish it and love it and be at enmity but God. But God. But God. There's a statement for His mercy, the purpose of grace, His love for His children, ended that lost service with the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, the man born of the virgin, all man, all God. And that has ended, and we're in the era of grace, the last days upon the earth. And just as sure and certain as that is, and just as you have the knowledge that that has transpired and given in types and shadows the understanding of that and see the beauty of the power and the wisdom of God given in Scripture, which is Christ Jesus, so also is the end of all things. Now we're going to get into Second Peter and we're going to get to chapter 3 soon. And we're going to talk about the doubters. And we're going to talk about those who mock and those who do not believe. Where is the promise that is coming? And we're going to read there also of the victory in Christ and the end of all things. Sonny Powell said they like to talk about the Big Bang he said the big bang is going to be at the end. The loud noise, the triumphant voice, the last trump of the Son of God when He appears in the eastern sky with every child of God who has died and dwells with Christ in spirit. The end of all things. The resurrection of the body. The judgment. And by the way, you are judged in Christ. We do not look in fear at the coming of God to reclaim us. Many in this world who are deceived look fearfully to the coming of the Lord. The end of all things created and time being no more. Well, what if I didn't make it? What if I didn't live up to it? Got news for you, brethren. You couldn't make it. You could not live up to it. You could not earn it. You could not buy it. It's in blood. 
Christ's blood. The Son of God who suffered, bled, and died and laid His life down for you. Peter's telling them about suffering. He says the end of all things is at hand. This has been 2,000 years ago roughly. And we're still here. But it does not negate the fact we are living in the last days. It does not negate the fact that a time known only of God, the Father, that the Son of God will appear and the end will be He shall separate His sheep. He will do it. They belong to Him. He died for them and He will bring them into the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world into the wicked lake of fire. Doesn't matter what we believe. Doesn't matter what we think. Doesn't matter what lies somebody tells. This is solid, true Bible. This is the Word of God given to men in the preaching of the Holy Writ, the Holy Scriptures. Peter says, suffering joyfully for Christ because the end of all things is at hand. We're not going to be judged in damnation. We're going to be judged in righteousness. Acts 17 says He's going to judge the world by that man whom He hath ordained, who is Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ. We are to be like Him. We strive to walk as He did in this world. But we have sinful fathers and sinful mothers and we're sin ourselves. I am worse than my father and my mother because sin has gone another generation. But Christ is without sin. Bearing our sin in His body. When we stand before God, the wicked will cry Remember Revelation as going through there. They want to hide under the mountains at the wrath. There's a word modern religion will not teach you. At the wrath of the Lamb of God. Okay? But to you, child of God, who look for His coming, there's no fear in the end being here. We look for it. We live for it. We long for it. For we know above all things, first and foremost, we shall see Him, Christ, as He is. Hands with holes. Feet with holes. Side pierced with a spear. Sitting upon His throne when He appears in His glory. And we know that He will carry us to heaven and immortal glory. And we long for that. And we yearn for that. And we look for that. And we pray for that. That the last words in Scripture come quickly, Lord Jesus. Quite a contrast in that. And the false, vain religion of man. And the glory is given to the very Son of God to whom it is due. And I could stand up here all day and dwell on this one verse. The Creator, the living Word of God by which the worlds were framed, came into this world to suffer and bleed and die for you. The end is here. 
Father, glorify thy name. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He glorified it. And all that Christ did from the coming into the world to being born of a virgin when the host of the heavenly multitude praised God, He glorified it when the Son of God hanged upon the cross and laid His life down for you if you love Him. If you don't love Him today and you love Him next week, you're quickened between that time, you're still in that number. If you're not born of the Spirit to the point of death, you're still in that number. Referring back again to those in the day of Noah and the thief on the cross who at the point of death were given knowledge of God in the new birth. The end of all things is at hand. We look for the coming of Christ. Be ye therefore, speaking to God's children, and let's be, let's be honest and base. Hit the foundation. He's speaking to those who would read Scripture and sit under the sound of the Gospel. Many children of God are at the baseball field or the football field on Sunday morning. Their children are not taken to church and taught these truths. This is given to those who assemble and strive to worship God, okay? This is God telling you who do suffer for righteousness' sake, for Christ's sake, for you who strive to be apart from the world, who gladly bear all the persecution and afflictions of living in this sin-cursed earth. To you, this knowledge is given. And this word of exhortation. Be ye therefore sober. The word means somber, serious minded. I'm not going that route. I'll say something bad. It's speaking of being sober minded, serious about the coming of Christ. It's teaching us about as we undergo persecutions and trials and tribulations, ever keeping the cross. And I don't like the thoughts of the cross. I heard Lonnie Mazingo Jr. say one time, I'm not going to wear a cross. If you do, that's fine. I'm not faulting that. Don't misunderstand me. Let me say what he said and we'll go from there. Because it's like wearing an electric chair. That's where my Savior died. But when we bear in mind the cross, we bear in mind the suffering of the Son of God, which we speak of every morning. We worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday and try to preach and teach, for that is our doctrine delivered from the Father on high. Be sober-minded. Keep these things in your mind at all times. 
As we walk and we see, as has been mentioned, those poor people, I'm speaking of children, one thing about police in your whole life, the only thing you have any any pity for anymore, children and old folks. Those in the middle are usually the ones causing all the trouble. We're grown-up sinners seeing what they go through. Seeing all the children murdered in the womb. Seeing all the exploitation of children and women that's in this world. Seeing the afflictions on these people. As we see these things in the society and the way our governments allow this and teach you to pursue this because it's okay if it's good for you I'm getting off on a sidetrack, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come back. Be sober-minded. As the things of the world trouble you, be sober-minded. Look to the cross, meaning look to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Look to the just who suffered for the unjust, very well realizing that I personally, myself, me, deserve to be among that number to whom He would say, depart from me, you cursed. But by His grace and His mercy and His blood, instead of that, He says, come you blessed of My Father. Inherit the kingdom. The end of hand... Of all things at hand, that day is coming. Be therefore sober. Bear these things in your mind. Let that go. It's not on the TV. It's not on the computer. It's not in a magazine or a newspaper. I used to take all kinds of hunting magazines. I'd get ten a month. Linda, why do you spend all this money on magazines? Because I like to read them. You know, that stuff means nothing to me. Be sober-minded. Put the Lord in your mind as we go back to chapter 3. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. To walk in this world, be sober-minded. Always thinking of the sacrifice of Christ and the grace of God. And watch unto prayer. People say, where well, you better watch. You better get right with the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot get right with the Lord. I cannot get right with the Lord. If one man could have gotten right with the Lord, Christ would not have died upon the cross. But the Scripture has concluded all, A-L-L, a little three-letter word, with such a great number, all under sin. Every man and woman who's ever been created, Adam and Eve, or conceived, all under sin. That's a whole lot. And we're all under sin. We're not able to get right with God. We're not able to be obedient. Paul said in the Philippian letter, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is all of God. Corinthians 1.13 Who has translated us into His kingdom. Keep this in mind. 
watch for the coming of the Lord. We're not watching to hide. We're not watching to try to live better. Although good works is what we ought to seek because they glorify our Father. And good works is plain and simple. This to keep the law. What is the law? Love. We'll get into that if I get there. Love. Charity. Loving your brother. Loving the brotherhood. Loving the church. Loving the kingdom. Loving your family. The things of God. Watch. Not watching in fear. Lord, where can I hide? Watching in expectation of deliverance finally and forever when there will be no more tribulation. What takes us through these things? I reach in that coat pocket. Y'all know I don't wear a coat until it gets chilly. And I'm almost ashamed to tell you this because I hadn't put the coat in the cleaner since then, apparently. But I reach in my pocket. There's a piece of cardboard. There's a funeral card from Scott. It's in my coat. What takes us through those times? Prayer. The grace of God. The love of God. The knowledge of the sacrifice. We're watching for Christ for deliverance. Unto prayer. The only time perseverance, and I'm going to say this and hopefully explain it briefly and honestly, the only time perseverance is mentioned in Scripture, Paul says we are to persevere in prayer. That means we pray constantly. The Lord Himself said men always ought to pray. Why? Because the Spirit of God within us is willing, but this flesh is weak. We pray. We pray. What do we pray? Lost a loved one. This is my prayer when we've lost a loved one. Lord, bless the family. Help us to know, that family to know, that their loved one manifested God in them, which is love in them, I don't mean love of Ishmael's camel. I mean love of God, love of family, love of brethren, love of the church. And I'll go past that. Love in action, charity, compassion to men in general. Lord, help them to know that that brother or sister is at the right hand of Christ. Who, Lord, is at thy right hand? Give them comfort. Give them grace. Watch unto prayer. Prayer is the greatest tool and the greatest weapon that God ever gave to men. What is it? You want to be a police minded individual and have a sense of mean in your heart like me? Pray for your enemies. What's that going to do? Don't cause them trouble, isn't it? What the Bible teaches. You're not praying to cause them trouble. But when a man's ways please the Lord and make his enemies be at peace with him, when you pray for a man, God will put a peace there in some way or another in God's own time. Okay?
Watch unto prayer. And above all things, this is more important than anything else that we do as we live in this world. It is for our benefit. It is for the glory of God first and foremost. And it helps us as we suffer in this world. Lord, help me. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. First of all, notice among yourselves. There are people in this world you cannot be charitable to. There are people in this world that would hate you and despitefully use you if you tried to be charitable unto them. I don't need you or your God. I've heard that said. I have heard that said. And if they were a child of God, when God quickens them, they will surely be ashamed of themselves. But that's nature. Among yourselves. Among the church. Among the kindred of God. Above all things, have fervent charity. 1 Corinthians 13. Charity. What is it? Ernie Stump says it is love in action. Loving your brethren, meaning brothers or sisters. We're told James said it this way. True and undefiled religion is to visit the widows. And in that day, the widows, especially among the Jews, were cast away, looked down upon, and shunned. What a shame. The widows and the fatherless in their affliction. You know, God, God looks at those who cannot help themselves, I think, I don't know if it's a different grace, there's no such thing, or maybe a little extra grace, but I'm trying to say that God has great compassion for them. They're innocent, they cannot do, just as we cannot attain righteousness, they cannot do much of anything concerning the ways of life and what they need in this world and caring for them, and giving for them, and taking care of them, and loving for them. Paul begins to tell us about widows that are widows indeed. Widows that need to be taken care of by the church. There's such things as that. And I'm bringing that up because it is compassion. We are to be charitable one to another in the church. Listen, the church is a house built of God. It has many different stones. Peter says we are living stones. We have different gifts, Paul said. There's a gift of the ministry. There's a gift of the brotherhood. There's a gift of the... I'll go ahead and say sisterhood. There's a gift of being a father. There's a gift of being a mother. There's a gift of being a child. There's a gift of being the dear old widow that we see so many times sitting on the back row in quietness with a smile in her heart and just being happy to be in the house of God. And God puts all these things together. They fit together to grow up in love in God. And God commanded these things and God gives these things. 
I need the widow on the back for a pillar that how she's lived. I need the old brother that sits over here as they used to with his snow white hair because he's been a pillar in my life. I need to sit under the sound of the Gospel. I need to have prayer and love from my brethren and sisters. All this works to God. We all have need one of another. Fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall... Catch that? Shall. It's definite. Cover the multitude of sins. Let me tell you, when the Son of God died upon the cross at Calvary, that compassion, that passion of His, the love, everlasting love, of God was upon you. All of the sins of the children of God, each and every one, from a murder to a theft to idolatry to backbiting to lies, they were all forgiven eternally in Christ. In His charitable act, He covered our sins never to be seen again. They were put on the head of that old scapegoat and sent off into a land unknown. We don't know where it's at. God said, I'll put thy sins behind my back and I will see them no more. They're gone. So we... So we, as God's assembly in the world, need to cover the sins of our brethren and our family and the church. That's one thing I use in my heart that shows me that someone is born of God. That they love that they forgive. Lord, how oft shall I forgive my brother if he offend me? Seven times? Seven's a complete number. Oh, Peter like, thought he had something there like we do sometimes and so often in the ministry. Well, we got something here. Not seven, but seventy times seven. If, period, if thy brother offend thee, Forgive him. Love covers a multitude of sins. Charity covers a multitude of sins. Prayer helps you to forgive and cover a multitude of sins. This is our family. We're all bound together by the Spirit of Almighty God. The glory of God is within you. Okay? We're all related in Christ, our brother. God is our Father. Forgive one another. Charity, mercy. The Lord spent Matthew 18. I'm not getting where I wanted to, so I might as well expound a bit. The Lord in Matthew 18 tells us if 
thy brother sin against thee, go to your brother. Go talk to your brother. If you can't work it out, take two or three with you. If you can't do that, then if that doesn't work, take the church and let the church be the final judge. This day and age, somebody says, no, the church's business. Beg to differ. What I did in my life was my daddy's business, whether I liked it or not. God is our Father. The church is to judge. And I'll give you this. God chastens us and God loves us. Love, charity, charity in action shall cover the multitude of sins. Forgiving is an action. Forgiving is charity. It's love expressed. And I'm going to tell you, when you see that your Father has forgiven you, joy, I say bliss, joy, sorrowful joy in your heart that I've sinned against my dad and he forgave me. And it also causes one to look at his dad. I'm speaking of earthly and heavenly, but right now earthly. In adoration. Because he did forgive him. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If we had one thing to teach men and women in generation Z, it would be husbands love your wife. That's the first thing God created was the family, the woman from the man, bring them together. If that was taught in the preaching of the gospel and in everyday life, this nation which has turned so far away from God would be so much richer in blessing. Charity. Forgive your wife. Forgive your husband. And really the wife probably has to do most of the forgiving in that because men are impudent and stiff-necked, most of us. Have charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. If your brother is in need of bread, feed him. If your brother is in need of drink, give him to drink. If your brother is naked, clothe him. Forgive him. Love him. Be hospitable to him. As every man have received the gift, this is the gift, the gifts, and the offices, if I can use that word, of grace that God hath bestowed upon His children. Every man means every born again child of God to whom He is presuming Himself to be speaking to. Every man has received the gift, the gift of grace. Even so minister the same one to another. Now you understand this. What we call a minister and one who stands and teaches the Gospel is not a minister in the sense of being... I hope I'd clarify this letter. A minister... He is to minister to you in the things of God. This, and, and He's to do this too. Don't misunderstand me, but I want to clarify the two. 
Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does he say? Just what I told you a moment ago. If a brother or sister is in need, give to them. Help them. Help them. Well, I'm going to put a roof on the house. If you're able, go help him. Sister so-and-so needs groceries. Take her some. Such ever things that are so easy and common and plain and simple that give glory to God, that cover the multitude of sins, that helps us to increase in love and fellowship with each other. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I'm not going to finish this, so we'll come back here next week, but let's go a little bit. If any man speak, teaching, ministry, elders in the church, that don't mean old. I remember when I was a boy, every preacher we had either didn't have any hair or it was all white. There was no in-between. Elders, old folks is what I thought. The elder refers to the wisdom of the ages which is given by grace to God to a man whom he calls to preach the gospel, gives him revelation of Jesus Christ through the Scripture and the manifestation of the Spirit of God where he can stand here by the grace of God for the purpose of God. Don't give that man any glory. Give it to the Lord God who gives him the gift. But he stands here and he preaches and he teaches to you about the Creator of heaven and earth who died to save you. From your sins. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Yeah, I've said this three times recently, but just bring it to mind. Go back to the split in the church in the 1830s with the doctrine changed and look how society has fallen. When men are taught their God needs help, why do they need that God? When men are taught, they're totally depraved. And they're hell bound by their own nature. And the grace of God and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ and His blood, has saved them for His purpose. That love, that adoration brings about serving God and trying to live properly as we walk through this dark world. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister preaching, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. I'm telling you, I ain't getting through with this. I'm fixing to stop. And we'll take up here next week. But let's get to the purpose and understand that we speak in the ability that God giveth. Now I'm going to say this because it's one of my pet peeves. Well, old brother so-and-so's coming. He's a big name. He's known everywhere. He's so good. He's just so much better. God gives grace. God calls men to preach. And I'm going to tell you this. I've known men in my life. They're dead now. And they traveled across the southeast serving a little old church over here in Arkansas, a little old church here in Tennessee, a little old church here in Mississippi and Alabama and one in Florida. Travel thousands of miles a year to preach and teach 
a handful of God's people. God called them, God sends them, God blesses them, and I'm so thankful they were there. When you think about greatness, don't look in the eyes of man and what men do. It's not always the proper English or the pretty face and clothes. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not faulting that. I, mean, I got on a new shirt Rachel got me for Christmas. But that's, that's not what it's about. It's about the servant of God that God calls and sends forth to preach. And those men that sometimes spit and sputter. We had a man here one time could not even read years ago. His wife had to read him Scripture. But guess what? God called him to preach. God enabled him to preach. And preach he did by the grace of God. And I thank God for that. And that's off the path a bit, but making the point, the ability that God giveth. That God in all things, all things He does, all things in His purpose, all things in Christ, may be glorified. Now all glory is given to Christ. You understand that? Because the Father hath lifted Him up, the man Jesus Christ, far above all other things. He's the head of creation. He's the head of the church. He's above all things that will be in heaven and immortal glory. Angels, cherubim, seraphim, whatever God may have created that we do not have any idea of, He's above it. But now you notice what the Scripture says here. That God, that is God, the Godhead and primarily the Father, I believe, in all things, who sent Christ? Who gave Him a people? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion. Remember that? Dominion over all things, authorities, angels, authorities, powers, being made subject unto Him forever and ever. And He closes this part of the text with Amen. Now, let's consider the text in closing. Suffering for Christ. Christ suffered for us, the just and the unjust. The assurance of the finished work of Jesus Christ and salvation, example being those in Noah's day. The end is here. We're in the last days, praise God. To live in this world and to suffer and to be able to walk for we'll get to this later, for judgment is begun at the house of God. To do these things, we keep our mind on Christ and we watch and we pray.